Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to see you here today. My name is Ken. If you're new or visiting, I'm one of the pastors here. Very, very thankful for that, to be able to say I'm one of the pastors here at Santa Barbara Community. Uh, like the last time I spoke, I would like to start off with a story, but no worries this time. This one does not involve any fights, uh, especially not ones with my own reflection. So just know that. Back when I was in seminary, I took on a part-time job at CBD, the real CBD, the original CBD. It is called Christian Book Distributors. Um, I don't know what y'all are thinking right now. Okay, we at church, y'all. But this is back in the year 2000, so people would call in to order books and Bibles and CDs. Yes, it is the time of CDs. And so I was equipped there and ready with my little Janet Jackson headset on to take people's orders. So one random afternoon, a gentleman, he called in. It was clear that he was ordering a bunch of Bibles for his church, a bunch of pew Bibles, as it was. And it was going to cost a lot of money as we were going through it together. So I was looking to see if there was anything I could do to help a brother out. Now, everything, this is going to sound like a a promo, everything at CBD, at Christian Book Distributors, was already discounted. But they had a membership, if you paid $5, that would guarantee you the lowest price that they had on every single product that they sold for that year. Just to see what would happen, I kind of just threw in that $5 membership, and I saw that it would actually more than half his cost, the cost of his order. So I was so excited, and I was like, hey, brother, got great news. I, I, there's this membership, and I added it in. It's only $5, and it's going to save you so much money. And then he responded, no thanks. And I said, well, maybe I wasn't clear, so let me try this again. <laughs> so I said, hey, I'm going to save you like thousands of dollars here. It's going to just cost you $5. I'm not trying to pull one on you right now. And I swear, I'm telling you the truth, and it's going to just do this membership, and it'll help you out. And he said, no thank you. Finally, I just used all my cards. And I was like, I'm a good person. I'm an honest guy. I'm a seminary student. I'm a pastor at a church. You can trust me. Believe me, you pay $5. Just add this $5. It'll save you so much money. And then his response was, I'm not interested. So I left work that day. And I was just wondering what had happened. And I was all up in my feelings. And I was dazed and confused. I was dejected and rejected. I felt depressed and distressed in all these different ways. But when I think back to this day, which took place now over two decades ago, there's a part of me that actually just feels really mad. And I just feel like I was wronged in that scenario. It was such a clear decision, such a win-win. You save a ton of money today. You're guaranteed all the best prices for the next year. And I felt scandalized. I felt outraged because, as some of the young people say today, the math wasn't mathing that day. Anybody use that? Just me. Okay. So today we're going to look at a passage where there will also be people who are going to feel outraged. Because for them, in their minds, God's math won't be mathing. I've entitled my sermon today, The Outrage of God's Grace. And I hope that by the end we will see that this is not a them-back-then problem. But this is actually an us right now problem. Please turn with me, if you can, to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 1 there. Let's start off by looking at verses 1 through 16. If you are able, I'm going to ask that you would rise with me as for the reading of God's word. Again, Matthew chapter 20, looking at verses verses 1 through 16. I'm reading from the NIV today. For the kingdom of heaven... It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. 
he agreed to pay them a denarius, that's one day's wage, for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work at my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he, Jesus, answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Have a seat, y'all. So we see here, Jesus is starting off with a parable, a symbolic story that teaches us about God, teaches us about God's kingdom. And this section actually is a continuation of last week when Mike was teaching. It ends in the same way as Matthew 19, the previous chapter. We see there in Matthew 19:30, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And we see in our passage here in verse 16 in Matthew 20, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So we have to ask the question, well, how does this truth of the first being last and last being first play out today? And Jesus here, he tells this parable, the story of a landowner representing God. And he goes out at various times of the day, 9 in the morning, 12 noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., to go out. And he goes out and he to find and call people to go out and work in his vineyard. And then the story concludes with everyone receiving their pay for the day. But everybody is paid the same amount. Meaning the person who went out at 5 p.m., worked for one hour, is paid the same as the person who went out early in the morning and worked a full day. The people's response? Outrage. Jesus' response, he says, I am not being unfair to you. Friend, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? This is like the mic drop statement. Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. When I was a kid, many of you might think I still look like a kid. When I was a kid, it's the people of color skin, guys. When I was a child, one of my favorite things was optical illusions. Can I just see anybody? Optical illusion fans here? All right. Older folks, exactly. It was on paper. It was on paper, okay? So not these, like, you know those, like, 3D pictures where you have to, like, unfocus your eyes? I'm not talking about that. I can never do those. I have never done a 3D picture in my life. I think a a head injury from when I was a child prevents me from doing that. That'll potentially be my story for my next sermon, okay? But... (laughs) I wanted to just show you some of, my old, some of the oldest and most well-known optical illusions. Free, feel free to call out what you see. First one. That's a blank screen. Okay. Okay, so we got a rabbit on one side. The other way you look at it, you see a duck. 
I worked really hard. I drew this this past week for you. Okay. <laughs> Next one. Very well known. Okay. So you got a vase and a face. So you can see the vase and you see two faces there as well. Ah. <laughs> some people are like trying to help some people out. <laughs> Next one. I love this one. It's like an oldie, but I love this one. All right. So you see this one, you see the older, the old lady with the kind of large schnoz, and then you see the young woman with the nice visage at the same time too. And so depending on how you look at it, you see two different pictures. Then the one that blew our minds back in 2015. (laughs) The dress. Okay. This is so clear to me. But I've been told by my wife yesterday that according to like science.com or something that I actually see the wrong thing. Okay. What do y'all see in this picture? Don't say a dress. Yes, I know it's a dress. (laughs) It's clothing. What do you see? What colors? Okay. Who sees blue and black? Who sees white and gold? We are the minority. I see white and gold as clear as day. I've been told that is wrong. That is, this is actually blue and black, which is amazing to me. I'm going to still fight and say it's white and gold. All right? But it's amazing to see. I've got to take this off the screen because you're just going to talk about this for the rest of the message. All right. Where do you find that picture? Um, when you look at these optical illusions, whether it's the rabbit and the duck or the old woman or the young woman or the dress... When you look at these optical illusions, we can look at the same thing, the same image, and we can come away with very two different impressions of what's going on there. We see the same thing, but depending maybe how we're looking at it or whatever our experience might be, we might view it very differently, sometimes even opposite from one another. And that kind of applies to our passage here too. When you look through our parable, do you come away feeling outraged because you think that God is unfair And unjust, or are you blown away by the inclusivity and the generosity of our God? Because the point of our parable here is not about math, not mathing, it's not about money, it's not about pay, it's actually a declaration, it's a demonstration of God's grace to everyone. It's about this open invitation to all who obey his call. So it doesn't matter if you are one of the first who went out at 9 a.m. representing maybe the Jewish believers. Or it doesn't matter if you're one of the last in the Gentiles, the non-Jews. This is especially applicable to us as the gospel is being preached to the ends of the earth, even now at this moment, to the Gentiles. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home and you went to Westmont College. Or if you didn't and you feel maybe awkward or bad even being here because I'm not a very religious person. Or I don't have a whole lot of experience with Jesus. It doesn't matter maybe if you've been at this church for decades or if you're a new transplant like me, a newbie like me. The passage here is very clear. The purpose and promise of our passage today is that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's read that together, please. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This means that all of us, we have all generously been welcomed and we have access to a loving God ready to receive us with his arms wide open. He's willing to embrace all of us, all people, and all who follow Christ that we are on equal footing. 
because he is our rock and he is our cornerstone. Mike taught on this last week that all people that we are welcomed and invited to join God's kingdom, whether you are a dependent child or a person who has counted the cost of discipleship, even leaving home, leaving family, even leaving career for the sake of Christ. We talked about the rich young man last week, already been alluded to earlier today as well, this rich young man who thought he could earn his way to eternal life. This invitation is not based, we have to realize, it's not based on anything of ourselves. It's not based on any good that we have, any good that we can do. But rather, it is solely on the grace and goodness of our God. Of course, this is perfectly displayed in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. As Jesus would predict for the third time in Matthew's gospel in verses 17 through 19. Read there. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way. He took the 12 disciples aside. He said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked. And flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. We'll talk about this more a little bit later. But in, right now, we have to talk about something very, very important. We have to talk about wine. Mm. <laughs> now, we don't talk about wine very often in the church. We don't talk about wine in the church. Okay, we don't talk about wine in the church. Sorry, that song was on repeat in my home forever. Um, we don't talk about wine very often in the church, but we need to. Because we're talking about a vineyard in our passage here. That's the context. A vineyard is filled with grapes, and grapes usually for producing wine. And so that's why we need to talk about wine. Just so you know my context, growing up in the Korean church, drinking wine or any kind of alcohol for that matter, that was seen as one of those really, really bad sins. The really, really bad sins, that's like doing drugs. That's like getting tattoos. Y'all laugh. Y'all sin in my eyes, right? That's like going clubbing. That's like getting a girl pregnant. That's like not getting straight A's. Like that's like really, really bad <laughs> sins, all right, in the Korean church. But we have to see that this is talked about throughout the scriptures. This is something we need to talk about. In the Old Testament, we see passages like Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, there's this invitation. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, essentially his earthly ministry, it's bookended with wine. First miracle was turning water into wine. What, did he, what was he offered to drink as he hung upon the cross at the end of his earthly life? It was wine. Jesus, over and over again, we see just wine and throughout the scriptures as well. I reached out to my fellow home group leader, Dr. Sandy Richter. She's not here today, so I can share this. I got her permission. It's okay. But this is what she said about this topic. She said, grapes were native to Canaan and had been cultivated there since the early Bronze Age. Wine was a huge export, grown industrially by the indigenous population and by the empire, regardless of who the empire might be in a particular era, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia. Israel's wine was exported all over the Mediterranean as far as Spain. Continuing on, the climate and soil in Israel was perfect for wine production, just like here in Santa Barbara. Sweet wine was drunk by everyone in society as it kept the water safe. Fermentation bacteria kills stuff like cholera. But these folks knew how to make the really good stuff too. Do a word search. Wine is like everywhere in the Bible. Well, if we do a word search throughout the scriptures, 
we find that wine indeed is like everywhere in the Bible. And we kind of see in the context of what does wine signify and what is associated with wine in the scriptures. And as we do a word search and as we study this together, we actually find that wine signifies things like joy. It signifies delight. It signifies passion and exhilaration. It signifies freedom. It signifies abundance above and beyond. And it signifies celebration too. So God's wine signifies, this is going to sound very, very nerdy here. God's wine signifies the new eschatological eternal life that comes through the Holy Spirit. And this eternal life is not just talking about quantity. It's not just the same old life that goes on repeat over and over again, never ending. No, there's something qualitatively different with God's wine and the eternal life that we're being offered. And it is a life of purpose. It's a life of meaning. It's a life of passion and freedom and celebration. It's a life of joy and flourishing. And this is the context of what we're seeing in our passage today. This is what all people, all people from all different ethnicities and backgrounds and walks of life, this is what we are welcomed and invited to partake and drink deeply from, this kind of wine. My question to you at this point is, do you want it? Do you want God's wine, this wine that we're talking about? Do you believe it? Do you desire it? I don't know about you, but I so want this in my relationship with God. I so want God's wine. I want this wine not just for me. I want this for our entire church family here, that we would experience this, that we would walk in this. After the past few months that we have had, I pray for God's wine to allow us to experience God's joy and pleasure and life and laughter, and that we will be a people of power and passion and purpose. Can I get an amen, y'all? Amen. amen. You guys are better than the nine o'clock. I had to do that twice with them. <laughs> Let's look at our passage. Let's finish it out. Let's look at verses 20 to 28. Verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, the ten other disciples, that is, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to, to give his life as a ransom for many. I remember the first time when I saw the movie Malcolm X, and there was a particular scene, an amazing scene in that movie. And it's hard to see, obviously, with the lights here. But it was this scene in the movie of this nonviolent protest taking place at a police station because an African-American man was beaten, brought to jail, and denied medical attention. Denzel Washington playing Malcolm X. He tells the officers that he and the rest of the protesters there that they will not move until this African-American man is given the proper care. Finally, the man is taken to the hospital. 
And when this finally happens, there's this amazing scene where Malcolm X, Denzel Washington, he raises his right hand wearing a glove. And he makes, just points his finger this way. And at that one motion, everybody there, all the protesters, they turn and they start filing out with military precision. And as everyone leaves, the police captain states, that's too much power for one man to have. And when I saw that, I said, that's going to be me right there. I said, I want to be that right there. I want to be powerful. I want to be respected. Forget loved. I want to be feared. You can have your love. I'll take fear from people. <laughs> that's, that's, this is silly young Ken right here. But I want to be someone that people would follow and listen to. And that's when I saw that scene, I was like, that is going to be me. What Jesus is talking about here is the complete opposite of that, of course. Because right after his teaching that all people, that we are all on equal footing, we don't need to be competing and jockeying with each other to receive God's grace. And after his third passion prediction, James and John's mommy comes and she asks Jesus for a favor. Their mommy asks Jesus, can you put my boys? They're good boys, Jesus. You know that. They're part of your inner three. Can you put my boys in positions of authority? Give them importance. Give them power. Let them have these special places with you in the kingdom to come. And I think many of us, we can relate if we're honest with ourselves. Because in so many ways, that's how we approach our lives too. Trying to jockey with one another. Trying to work our way up. Trying to make a name for ourselves. Trying to feel comfortable. Trying to be powerful. That's exactly who we are as well. Well, we see here that Jesus, he corrects their mommy and us by referencing two images from the prophet Isaiah. First, the drinking of the cup of God's wrath. Secondly, giving up his life as a ransom for many. And then Jesus, he teaches his disciples what this is about and what this looks like. It is a call to service and it is a call to death to self. That's what this is. It is the call to humility as the servant and slave of all. The great scholar N.T. Wright, he speaks on this. For Jesus, power is about service, and service is about sacrifice. For Jesus, power is about service, and service is about sacrifice. Mike shared on this last week the profound quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, martyred in Nazi Germany for calling God's people and church to faithfulness and devotion to Jesus Christ. And he would say, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's not about working your way up. It's not about more money. It's not about being comfortable. When Christ calls a person, he bids him come and die. Jesus would put it this way. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus, of course, would put his money where his mouth was as he served, and he would minister to people all day long out of compassion. He debased himself to the lowest of positions, by washing his disciples' feet. Did you know the scholars tell us today that Jewish masters could not require Jewish slaves to wash their feet? Even Jewish slaves had a level where they're like, uh, I don't do that. Jesus, as 
a Jewish man, as a Jewish leader, as a Jewish teacher and rabbi, he would disrobe, kneel down, and wash each of his disciples' feet. This is who Jesus is. As the ancient hymn tells us in Philippians chapter 2 about Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I know I've been telling a lot of stories today. One more, and then we'll be done. I'm going to take you back to 1999, senior year, Tufts University in Medford, Massachusetts. And um, I led a Bible study for other college students at my church campus. And we looked at this passage right here. Who wants to be first, wants to be great, needs to be the servant of all. We looked at John 13, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We looked at Philippians 2 that we just looked at as well, too. I, looked, I pulled out all these passages. And, man, that Bible study was so amazing. It was so good. And I killed it, y'all. And I could just see it in all, like the, all the students gathered at night. They were getting it, and they were excited. And they were just feeling inspired to go out and serve. And I was like, I just saw it in their eyes. I saw it on their faces. And I said, all right, unfortunately, we have to wrap up. Our, I love Bible studies like that, where people aren't looking at the clock like this, trying to like end it. You guys all look at the clock now. And so it's not that. But they're like, we want to keep going. We don't want this to end. And I had to be the one, guys, it's getting late. We have to pray, and we need to go home. And so we prayed, and I closed us in prayer that night. And I prayed to God, God, would you give us open doors Give us many opportunities to wash the feet of other people through acts of radical service. And again, we left that day just, it was like a sending out. And we were so motivated to go and make a difference on our campuses. And I went back to my dorm room that night, so proud of myself. Patting myself on the back. Ken, God is so pleased with you. (laughs) Well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) Got to my dorm room. I was like, it's time to go to bed. Let's go wash up. Went to the bathroom. All my good vibes, immediately gone. Walk into the bathroom. And what I found was that the toilet and the entire bathroom floor was covered with vomit. And uh, get ready now. And so it looked like it was a combination of like tortilla chips, (laughs) chunky salsa, and lots and lots of alcohol. And that's what it looked like, and that's what it smelled like. And immediately, I thought to myself, these stupid kids. Stupid kids. What's the matter with these guys? And in that moment, as I was judging them hard and complaining, God so clearly spoke to my heart so profoundly, Ken, clean it up. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) They did it. They need to clean it. And God said, Ken, clean it up. And I said, well, God, there are janitors whose job it is to, to do this. They get paid to do this. And so they should be the ones to clean this up. They'll be here in the morning. They could take care of it. God said, Ken, clean it up. And then I was like, well, God, how am I supposed to clean this up? I don't have anything to clean this up with. And right then a light from heaven came, shone in the corner of the bathroom. And there was every single cleaning product you could imagine right there. It was like, ah, came right down. I swear, it was dark and it turned like light right there. Like the Shekinah glory of God showed up right there. 
And then finally I said, God, I, I don't want to. And God said, Ken, you prayed for this. You prayed for opportunities to serve and wash the feet of others. You led that Bible study. You know this. You prayed for it. Now, get going. This is how God speaks to me. Get going and clean it up. I share this because my practical application for us as we close is that we have to live up to or maybe even we have to live down to our callings in these passages. Because we're called to be things like laborers, workers. We're called to be servants. We're called to be slaves for Jesus Christ. This is who we are. I pray that we will be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ who perfectly embodied each of these. This is who we need to be. And my hope is that we would pray that God would bless us each with opportunities to live this out in our church family and also in the community at large. And our attitude cannot be, God, I don't do that. God, help me to serve, but I don't do that. That is beneath me. Somebody else will do it. No, God will speak very clearly to us when we listen. And we have to remember that God has generously and outrageously poured out his grace upon us so we can be a blessing to other people. And so realize and recognize and consider the gravity of this prayer because God will answer this prayer. God will, he loves to answer this prayer. But he will answer it on his terms because it will not be comfortable. It will not be convenient. It will not be expected. But it's always an honor and it's a privilege and a blessing to be used by the Lord in this ways. And so I'm just going to ask you right now, as we close and before I lead us to the table, would you take a moment considering the cost and would you pray, God, would you give us opportunities to serve and wash the feet of others? And just be open and allow him to speak to your heart into your life. Take a moment to pray. Listen again to verses 17 to 19 in our passage. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Church family, Jesus calls us to a way of humility, the way of service, and even death to self, as he alone perfectly exemplified each of these, as his body was broken, as his blood was shed for sinners such as us. This table right here, it's not for the powerful and the proud. The table is not for just the good or the first or the religious. 
It is an open table to all who have recognized our need for God's grace. A God who gives so generously and even outrageously to those who trust and follow him. If you're not sure what this means for you, we're going to have prayer teams on both sides. They would love to talk with you and to pray with you and for you about these things. So let's come to the table. Let's receive his grace this day.